Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. We're highlighting remarks made by Scott Phelps during the Illinois Family Institute's 2023 Pro-Life Worldview Conference held at the Village Church of Barrington. Mr. Phelps is the Executive Director of the Abstinence and Marriage Education Partnership. Now, In that role, he speaks to thousands of teens around the country about the benefits of delaying sex until marriage. Scott Phelps on teaching the sex sequence as a positive solution to reducing abortion in our nation. Well, what is the success sequence? Let's start off there. The success sequence teaches youth the optimal pathway for future success with a clear emphasis on the objective benefits of reserving all sexual activity for marriage. Now, technically, the success sequence has been identified by researchers as three steps. Number one, get an education. If we can help young people get an education and then get a job and then marry before having children. This is what's called the success sequence by Brookings Institution and American Family Institute, uh, American Enterprise Institute, Heritage Foundation, different ones are talking about the success sequence. Help kids get an education, get a job, and then marry before having any children. If you can do those three steps in that sequence, it's almost impossible to end up in poverty on welfare, food stamps, and it's self-sufficient. And so that is the success sequence. So we have uh, always referred to our program as an absence education program, and we still do, but really the success sequence really better captures what it is we're all about. At the end of the day, it's not about sex. It's about helping young people see a clear path forward and how reserving all sexual activity for the context of marriage is going to be very, very helpful in accomplishing future hopes, goals, and dreams, and so forth. So that is what the success sequence is, and so we have the success sequence program the objective benefits of reserving all sexual activity and childbearing for the context of a marriage relationship. And so that is what we're talking about with the success sequence. Well, why teach the success sequence? Well, I started off as a pastor in Prospect Heights, and I was seeing in my own church over and over again these kinds of issues coming up in my church. And I was very concerned. I remember one time a single mom brought her 16-year-old pregnant daughter to see me. Daughter wanted to have an abortion. Mom says, we're going to go see the pastor first. So there they are in my pastor's office uh, in Prospect Heights, and she uh, wants to have an abortion. And I said to this 16-year-old pregnant girl, I said, you know, there's a couple in our church that they're unable to have children, and they've been wanting to have children, but they can't, and they're trying to adopt. I don't know if you know, but it's not easy to adopt a baby today. If you want to adopt a baby, get in line literally. And so they had been in line. They filled out all the paperwork, paid the money, done the background checks, Dave, but no baby, no baby. So I said, would there be any way that you would be willing to, instead of having an abortion, carrying the baby to term, we could do what's called an open adoption, be able to meet the couple and decide if you're happy with this couple, and then after the baby's born, you can see the baby. She agreed. Fabulous. Wonderful. Beautiful end to a very difficult situation in our church where a girl was pregnant and wanted to have an abortion. Instead, this couple in our church that couldn't have babies, beautiful. However, a year later, now 17 years old, that same girl is back in my church, pregnant again, and this time off to the abortion clinic she went. And I just remember thinking to myself, is the best I can do to sort of sit here and wait for people to get their lives all tied up in a knot and then I'm going to try to help them untie? Wouldn't it be better if I could sort of get up and go out and help them not get themselves in a fix in the first place? 
So that was one of the kinds of incidents that I encountered. I found a common thread of sexual activity outside the context of marriage. One couple was going through a divorce, and as a pastor, you counsel couples going through a divorce and trying to encourage them that that's not going to fix your problems, and it's better if you stick together, and let me help you try to work, out, work it out. And I remember this one couple that got a divorce in our church that I didn't find out until after the divorce went through that they had already had an abortion prior to getting married. And you can see how the, the, the conflict of that experience was not a healthy foundation upon which to try to build a marriage. So all of these things then tended to have this common theme of sex outside the context of marriage. All these things were kind of building up as I was pastoring my little church there in Prospect Heights, and I was very concerned about, you know, what to do about it, and I was very much a pro-life pastor. We did the Sanctity of Life Sunday, whatever we could do to save the babies. Come on, church, let's do Let's save the babies, church, come on. Whatever we could do to save the babies, and I was very concerned about, well, in 1992, Cook County Hospital, a judge was considering whether or not to lift an injunction on abortions at Cook County Hospital. There had been an injunction on abortions at Cook County Hospital because it was a taxpayer-funded abortion. You can't use taxpayer funds for abortions, so no abortions. However, in 1992, a judge was considering whether or not to lift that injunction. He lifted the injunction. <sighs> I'm going to go join the protest. I've never been to one before. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't have any signs made up, but I'm going. So I got in my car, and I drove downtown to Cook County Hospital, and I got out, and I was going to join the protest, and I looked, and they had barricades set up on one side, and they had barricades set up on the other side, and I got down there, and I looked around, and I'm like, where is everybody? Okay, I'm here. Where is everybody? And it turned out that I guess I was the protest. And here's, here's the verse I'm reading at the top of my lungs. Proverbs 24.10, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will not he repay man according to his work? I just kept reading the same thing over and over, this and Psalm 139, back and forth I would go. But my point is, you know, that's how I got started. And let me just pause and say what I intended to say starting off is what a great honor it is to be here because I have such deep affection for Illinois Family Institute. Back in those days before there was an internet and I would listen to the radio, the other way I would get my information is I would call IFI. I would call Illinois Family Institute, I would say, tell me, give me more information, I'm going to be preaching this Sunday, and I would get as much information as I could. So that's just all to say how I ended up where I am. So my goal as a pastor was, we've got to address the issue of abortion, it's just not right. Because when I read Proverbs 10, uh, 24, 10 through 12, who's that talking to? Oh, you're talking to me, <laughs> right? On our watch, this is happening. It's what am I doing? I just felt a deep burden to do something. And I just believe that God has called us all to do something. It doesn't all have to be the same thing, but we all have to do something. Because I think Proverbs 24, 10 through 12 is talking to me. It might be talking to you too. <laughs> well, that's how I got started. And as I kept pulling on the yarn after nine years of pastoral ministry, I left pastoral ministry to go try to address the problem. I went to Loop Crisis Pregnancy Center at the time downtown on Michigan Avenue, which is the pregnancy care center that I had worked with as a pastor for many years, and I said, I'm here to help. What, what can I do? What can I do to save the babies? And they said, well, we have this new absence education program starting up in the schools. Could you do that? And I was like, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. 
And so we started going into schools in Chicago teaching kids about the benefits of reserving all sexual activity for marriage, and how do you think they responded to that message? I mean, we were on the south side, DuSable, uh, Steinmetz, Calumet, Juarez, all these different schools in the city. We would go in and we would talk to the kids about why it's a good idea to save sex until you're married, and how do you think that message went over? remarkably well. Do you know what one girl at Taft High School said? She wrote this down on her form. I think saving sex for marriage is a great idea. I never thought of that before. That's what I want to do. Ding, 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 ding. This girl represents a generation. Not a generation of young people that have rejected the absence message, but what? We've never heard this. And where would they hear this, by the way? Researchers tell us that our kids are exposed to about nine hours of media per day. I think it's more like 25 myself, right? Now think about this. Is there any sex in the media? I mean, are kids getting any sexual images or messages from the media at all? Is there any of that in there? Think about this. Of course there is, but, but think about this. Of all the sexual exposure that our kids receive, starting at very early ages now, very early ages, of all the sexual messages and images that our kids are getting, how much of it communicates to them the beauty and the value of sex within the context of marriage? How much of it? Good luck finding it. And my concern is not just that our kids are being over-sexualized and, and that they're seeing sexual images at an early age, it's that they have no context for understanding it. They, there's no, no understanding of sex and marriage is healthy and good, and, and so they're, they're confused and they don't know. And so when you think about the, the messages that they're getting and the messages that they're not getting, and that's what we really exist for is to help communicate to a new generation of Americans and youth the message that they're not getting. Now, how are our schools doing? Because our schools can help out, right? Our schools can be really helpful in addressing this situation because what schools can do, for example, is they can give birth control to the kids. That'll solve the problem. I do this in my uh, training seminars for public school teachers, knowing that many are going to teach contraception, and I say to them, wouldn't it be fabulous if we get all of our girls in the sixth grade on birth control pills? <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? Problem solved. Wouldn't that be a terrific thing to do? Or would we maybe be facilitating a problem rather than solving a problem? See, I'm not so sure this is a, the best way to handle the claim that this Portland school district, Portland Main School District was making that, well, we've got sixth grade girls in our schools getting pregnant. We said at the time, if you've got sixth grade girls in your schools getting pregnant, maybe you should be asking the question, who's getting them pregnant? Because it's probably not sixth grade boys, if you know what I mean. And maybe what you've done is only enabled and facilitated an abusive, inappropriate, harmful relationship. Shouldn't even call it relationship. Well, now here's the geniuses at CPS. Free condoms for nearly every school in the city, including elementary schools. And what they said is any school that includes fifth grade, that's basically elementary. They said the Sun-Times article identified 12 schools in the city of Chicago that don't include fifth grade. So virtually every school in the city. Free condoms for all. And the article made it clear that the CPS was saying to the schools that, oh, and by the way, if you run out, don't worry, there's more. There's more. I happened to be in Washington, D.C. one year on December 1st. Anybody know what December 1st is? It's World AIDS Day. World AIDS Day, December 1st. I happened to be speaking at a middle school four blocks north of the Capitol, inner city youth, auditorium full. And because it was World AIDS Day, I had picked up in my hotel the Washington Post, which had an article on World AIDS Day, of course, because you have to do that. And it was about how the Washington, D.C. Health Department was going to have condoms available everywhere. We're going to have them in the bars and the restaurants and the, you know, the schools, everywhere. That, that's going to... So these are middle school kids, full auditorium middle school kids, downtown Washington, D.C. 
and I read to them the Washington Post article. I says, how many of you kids think that condoms everywhere is the solution to the AIDS problem? Well, let me see your hands. How many hands went up? How many of you kids think that this is a Band-Aid approach? It isn't really going to solve the problem. <laughs> These are middle school kids. I'm like, okay, you kids should be running the city. <laughs> and I said, how is it that you as middle schoolers can figure this out? So this is the crazy that we're dealing with, and this is here, CPS, and the new uh, national sex ed standards basically call for CPS-style sex education statewide. That's what the national sex ed standards are all about, is let's take what the geniuses in Chicago are doing, and let's make everybody do that throughout the state, because what could go wrong? Fortunately, it's not mandated, and so we have worked very hard to help schools across Illinois understand that you don't have to do this, you don't have to do this, there's a better way, let us help you do a better way. And so our curriculum division works with schools. Since 2017, about 300 schools around the state of Illinois working with us to teach abstinence until marriage in their schools and understand that you don't have to do the national sex ed standards. It's basically a, a group of radicals in Washington that have put together a wish list, right, that uh, they want to impose on your kids, and it's happening here. Fortunately, most schools have opted out. Most schools have opted out. And we want to combat the media messaging that our kids are getting with a clear message on absence until marriage. We've now had about two million teens go through our programs. This is around the country. Again, this all started off with just a desire to do something. I mean, well, what are we going to do? Well, well, why don't we start by helping young people understand and appreciate the value of waiting until marriage? Why don't, why don't we start there? <laughs> and that's how this all started out. Scott Phelps with the Abstinence in Marriage Education Partnership. More of his comments from the IFI 2023 Worldview Conference after this. With a woman to look at culture from a Christian worldview, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. In her new tell-all memoir, The Woman in Me, Britney Spears reveals that she was pressured to have an abortion by Justin Timberlake when they were a celebrity couple. Justin definitely wasn't happy about the pregnancy, she said. He said we weren't ready to have a baby in our lives. If it had been left up to me, I never would have done it. And yet Justin was so sure he didn't want to be a father, end quote. Her experience is shared, of course, by millions. As an article in Christian Newswire put it, nearly 70% of women who had abortions described them as being coerced, pressured, or inconsistent with their own values and preferences. Many felt like Spears, who wrote, to this day, it's one of the most agonizing things I've ever experienced in my life. Look, abortion's a lot. Far from securing the rights and autonomy of women, abortion pressures women to cater to male desire and to enable their irresponsibility. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. For this segment, Scott Phelps discusses the breakup of marriages and families. He made his remarks during the Illinois Family Institute's 2023 Pro-Life Worldview Conference at the Village Church of Barrington. Mr. Phelps is the Executive Director of the Abstinence and Marriage Education Partnership. Now, slow down a little bit, and what I want to do is look at the big picture here. Why are we concerned about our kids? What is the fundamental problem that we face today? If you were going to develop a program to help our young people today, what would you understand as the fundamental problem that we face in our culture today that you would want to be addressing? Breakdown of marriage and family? Pregnancy, STDs, and sexual activity tend to be symptomatic of the breakdown of marriage and family, right? 
So Glenn Stanton, who serves on our board, he's at Focus on the Family, he's written a number of terrific books. One is called Why Marriage Matters. Glenn writes this. He says, of all the social problems facing American civilization, the decline of marriage and the breakup of the family is unquestionably our most pressing problem. Its impact is widespread and comprehensively destructive. Maggie Gallagher puts it this way. She says, when men and women fail to form stable marriages, the first result is a vast expansion of government attempts to cope with the terrible social needs that result. There is scarcely a dollar that the state and federal government spends on social programs that is not driven in large part by family fragmentation, crime, poverty, drug abuse, teen pregnancy, school failure, mental and physical health. Now, look, these are researchers, okay? They're not telling us what they think. They're telling us what they know. They're saying that when we dig into the data, what we find is that where you have a host of social pathologies, you have the breakdown of marriage and family. You have family fragmentation, that is to say, either uh, broken down families or never formed families. And it's not just having two parents in the home, but it's having a father that is married to the mother in the home makes a difference. And you see that in the statistics and in the data and in the research, and that's what they're saying. So let's zoom in on this a little bit. Highest rates of birth outside of marriage, the 25 to 30s. Surprising? It is surprising. It is surprising. The point is, it's not what we think. It's not what we anticipate. This uh, age keeps going up. Teen pregnancies, births, and abortions. Well, first of all, teen pregnancy. How are we doing today with the teen pregnancy? How are the kids doing? Generally, historically, are we going up? Are we going down? Are we staying the same? Where are we at with teen pregnancies today? Down dramatically. Dramatically. We have the lowest rates of teen pregnancies, births, and abortions ever recorded Did you know that teen pregnancies have been in steep decline for three decades? You couldn't have a clearer trend. That's the good news. Now, the question becomes, why is this? What accounts for this big drop in teen pregnancies, births, and abortions? Do you suppose? Teen contraceptive usage, my point here is that uh, sex education in our schools has done a terrific job of promoting contraception among teens. So you certainly do have contraception being used. I had a teacher at a training in Urbana a few, couple years ago. She said to me, yeah, actually, you know what? Three-quarters of my girls are on LARC, long-acting reversible contraception. They've got the shot or the patch in their arm. Three-quarters? I said, time out. Hold on. Are you saying, is this middle school, high school? She says, both. I've got the middle school and three-quarters of my girls have the shot or the patch. Now, again, have we helped these girls? Or have we facilitated a pattern of behavior that's not healthy for them? It's not good for them. So you have this very high level of contraceptive usage among our teens, and so, as a result, births are certainly in decline as a result of increased contraceptive usage. No question about that. I think that's a very clear trend. But what's happening to STDs at the same time? Through the roof. Every year, year after year after year, we have higher and higher rates of sexually transmitted diseases. Why? How could that be? My point is it's not contra-STD. Do you understand? Now, the CDC, the entire educational medical complex can continue to repeat the lie that this will protect you against STDs. The reality is it just flat out doesn't. It's not designed to do it, and it doesn't do it, and our kids are suffering as a result. So it's important that we educate our young people well and don't think that this is some sort of solution. You haven't done something fabulous here, by the way. Now, one of the reasons for the decline is the increasing contraceptive usage among teens, but also you have sexual activity among high schools at an all-time low as well. Only 21%, according to the CDC, of high school students are sexually active, meaning 
almost 80%, 79% of high school students are not sexually active. The, the, the myth is, the perception is they're all doing it, and you absence people are so stupid. And the perception of absence education is, you know, you're going to stand in front of the class, they're all doing it, and you're going to be like up here being like, stop it, stop it, you've got to stop the sex. They're not having the sex. And so the idea, the reality is, is that most of them aren't and need to be encouraged to continue in terms of healthy living and wise decision-making, and not just throwing contraception at them all the time, assuming they're going to do it anyway. No, they're not going to do it anyway, and you could actually do a good job as a health educator to help them understand why it's a good idea not to do it anyway. So, this is the reality, and again, the idea that abstinence is unrealistic is one that I've heard more than a few times right? You're such a Neanderthal. Why don't you wake up? Why don't you figure it out? Why don't you quit being such a prude, such a dope, such a goof? I mean, come on, come on, abstinence, really? What? Uh, yeah, like you mean like what 80% of high school students are? How can you tell me it's unrealistic when 80% of high school students are doing that? So, it's not unrealistic. It is by definition what is real, and even if it wasn't, we would teach it anyway because it's healthy and good for them. All right. The percentage of non-marital births is at 40%. That is to say, 4 in 10 children in America today born outside the context of marriage. And we ought to be concerned about this, of course. But if you look at it, in uh, 1960, the year that I was born, you had 1 in 20 born outside of marriage. In 1960, 5%, 95% of kids born to a married mom and dad. In the year 2000, that shot all the way up to exactly 1 in 3. And the question is, where is it going? Isn't it the case that soon most American children will be born outside the context of marriage? Should we care about this? what we're doing to sort of get up in front of the curve and try to help young people understand why reserving all sexual activity for marriage matters and why it's important. 2019, we had the 50th anniversary of something that happened in 1969 in upstate New York, Woodstock, sex and drugs and rock and roll. The mantra of the sexual revolution was what? What was the mantra of the sexual revolution? Free love meaning what? What were you free from? You were free from marriage. Hey, hey, listen, listen that whole marriage, you don't have to get married. No, 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 you just get yourself some contraception. You can have sex with a whole bunch of people. It'll be fabulous. I mean, what could go wrong? Well, Brad Wilcox, in his article that he's written here on absence and marriage, he makes this point. He says, over the course of the last 40 years, more children have been born and reared outside of a married home, at least in part because the sexual revolution undercut the norm of premarital sexual abstinence. Most scholars who have studied the nation's recent retreat from marriage over the last four decades agree that the sexual revolution played an important role in fueling this retreat. Now, watch who he quotes here. Dr. George Akerlof, a Nobel Prize-winning economist at the University of California, Berkeley. Not a right-wing think tank. <laughs> Dr. George Akerlof, a Nobel Prize-winning economist at University of California, Berkeley, argues that the sexual revolution, aided in part by widespread contraception, fueled a dramatic increase in premarital sex and reduced the normative imperative that men should take responsibility for the children they help bring into the world by marrying. These two developments in turn led to dramatic increases in non-marital childbearing. So here you have Wilcox at the University of Virginia, Akerlof, University of California, Berkeley, and what the smart people are saying is that the sexual revolution of the 1960s detached sex and marriage, and when you had the derailment, the detachment of sex and marriage, all bets are off. And we now, we are sexual revolution in full flower. We're seeing it all. We're seeing it all.
And so this is why it's important for us to understand that what happens is when you take sex outside the context of marriage. Now, I like to share, when I do speak with kids, I like to share the analogy of my family likes to go camping. We, uh, whenever we go camping, there will always be signs that say, campfires in designated fire pit area only. Not don't have a campfire. No, no, you can have a campfire part of camping. But what? You can't just make a fire anywhere. You'll burn the place down. No, we've made this circle of rocks, and we've dug it down kind of deep, so you make the fire down in there, and everything's great. It's wonderful. You're camping. You're having a great time. But if you think you can just make a fire anywhere you please, you're going to have a real problem on your hands. And see, marriage is that fire pit. Marriage is that circle of rocks dug down deep, and sex within the context of marriage is beautiful, and it's for God's purposes and designs, and it's wonderful. But you can't just go having sex anywhere you want with anyone you want, anytime you want. You'll burn the place down. You'll have SCE rates at record levels year after year after year. And so the whole point of helping young people understand the beauty and the value of marriage for them to understand is that marriage is the safe place for sexual activity. Look, sex isn't a bad thing. God created it. It's not a bad thing. And what the sexual revolution did is it just took a sledgehammer to that pile of rocks and scattered them everywhere. And so, yeah. And so what we're all about then is just helping young people understand how to build a cradle, how to build a marriage, how to build a family. And so there's reasons why it's important to help young people understand why marriage matters. Can we see the non-marital birth rate drop back down? Or is it just going to keep on going up? And this is what I say to my educators. I'm not really feeling it. Because I don't see, when you say yes, I don't see how you're going to get that to come back down. Unless, unless the adults in the room get serious, recognize the, un, and understand what the issue is here, and then work systematically, collectively, nationally to help a new generation of American youth understand what marriage is, why marriage matters, and why waiting until marriage is a good and healthy thing. If we do that, then yeah, I think it can happen. But it is a Herculean task, and it's what we're absolutely devoted to at A&M. Scott Phelps, during the Illinois Family Institute's 2023 Worldview Conference, hosted by the Village Church of Barrington. Mr. Phelps is the Executive Director of the Abstinence and Marriage Education Partnership, ampartnership.org. Please support the work of the Illinois Family Institute. All donations are tax deductible. If you'd like to give, go to IllinoisFamily.org. And you can also visit IllinoisFamily.org to sign on for IFI email updates and to find information about upcoming events. Tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. And until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at ifiaction.org.